Series. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to the June podcast series. Day 10, 10 Best Practices in a Cross-Border Investigation. In an article in the FCPA report by Mara Sin and Michelle Albert entitled Internal Investigations, How to Conduct an Anti-Corruption Investigation, Developing and Implementing the Investigation Plan, they laid out 10 best practices in a cross-border investigation, and I want to review these with you today. Number one, offer interview translations. Most people know English to a certain extent in the international business community, and it's a very universal language nowadays. However, if you want to get into detailed questions in an interview, a non-native English speaker uh, may assume they understand everything. You may think they understand everything, but they probably don't. This means it's important to have someone present in the interview who speaks the witness's native language, and you can't assume uh, that it's going to be otherwise. You should make clear to the witness uh, that if there's no problem with English, uh, uh, inter- a translator may not be needed, but the reality is you're probably going to need a translator. Number two, avoid cultural pitfalls. Yes, there really are cultu- cultural pitfalls, and these can uh, lead you to digging very deep holes for yourself that uh, you need to... Um, get yourself out of it starts with things like dress but it also goes to things like decorum um, you need to fully understand um, what the culture mores of the country you're in during the investigation uh, in this uh, will certainly facilitate your um, investigation if it's uh, in certain countries you can't remove things from desks If you want to do document review, obviously there are going to be laws around this uh, in certain places as well. Uh, You do not want witnesses to begin the interview process with a negative view of you, and you want them to be cooperative. Uh, This uh, really makes it in your best interest to follow local cultural norms. Otherwise, the interviews can become incredibly embarrassing and awkward at times. So do not fall into cultural pitfalls. Number three, observe data privacy restrictions. 
Uh, hopefully by now, most American lawyers are well aware of the different privacy restrictions and requirements in com- countries governed by the EU and the U.S. and probably now the United Kingdom. Uh, s- some of that's related to employee and employment law, uh, ownership of certain information, and other parts of the law that really do not have to deal with data privacy but are more personal information. Um, you must have a data privacy expert. If you talk to Jonathan Armstrong, he will detail for you multiple cases where companies uh, illegally obtain documents and they cannot be used in an investigation. In fact, there's a very famous trial uh, that collapsed for the uh, Sears Fraud Office where the information uh, forming the basis of the criminal uh, prosecution was uh, uncovered in an internal investigation led by U.S. counsel who did not follow U.K. law. So um, you need to understand the data privacy rules. You need to have a data privacy expert assisting you. Number four, comply with labor requirements. Related to the data privacy is similar to longstanding Weingarten rights um, of unionized employees to have representatives present for interviews. There are many countries outside the U.S. where works, councils, or other similar organizations are responsible for the interactions between employers and employees. Moreover, employees have both statutory or labor code rights based on uh, their status, whether or not they're a member of a labor union. These rights can actually drill down into the types of questions you can ask or even prevent you from meeting or interviewing employees. So you need to uh, may need to work through a works council. You may need to uh, have pre-approval to the works council. You may uh, have to allow uh, an employee to have a representative present. But you need to have a local in-country labor law expert who can uh, advise you on these matters. Number five, yet be aware of other local requirements. So um, it's incumbent that you work with local counsel in the country where you're performing the investigation uh, to garner an understanding of the witness's rights. Many lawyers think doing an investigation can certainly be problematic, and uh, the document reviews, the works counsel, and other issues uh, should lead you to utilizing a local lawyer to help you. If you're working with a large U.S. multinational firm, you may be able to get that in one firm, but you may need to uh, seek local counsel. Six, put forms in native translations. This is related to uh, the earlier point on offering interview translations or translation services doing interviews. So if you're going to put documents in front of a witness, make sure they're in the witness's local uh, language so that... um, the uh, employee will understand these. Um, Certainly this is going to be critical if you put a consent form in front of someone to sign consenting to an interview. uh, If you do not have it in local language, it may be deemed to not be an informed consent. And if you do not have informed consent, as all lawyers know, that consent can well turn out to be void. Number seven, preserve the the attorney-client privilege. Uh, In a brief review, the attorney-client privilege is a communication between an attorney and client for the purpose of seeking legal advice. The reason the client has a privilege is to make sure they are not afraid to go to their lawyer and disclose full facts and information. The purpose of the privilege is set up so that you will be encouraged to have the protected conversation with counsel and make sure you understand the law so you can follow it. The U.S. rule is relatively straightforward. 
It applies to both in-house and outside counsel. The issue you're going to have is that it's quite different in the EU, where there is no uh, absolute privilege uh, for in-house counsel. And unfortunately, this has now been extended to the United Kingdom. So you need to have someone who can advise you on what's the privilege situation. If you utilize in-house counsel from a foreign subsidiary in the EU or the United Kingdom, you may lose the privilege. Number eight, prepare for local enforcement actions. Most American lawyers are aware that we've seen other countries uh, begin to engage in global anti-corruption enforcement, from GlaxoSmithKline in China to uh, Brazil to the United Kingdom to Denmark. A wide variety of companies have engaged in anti-corruption enforcement. <clears throat> this means that uh, information that one government knows uh, whichever government uh, that happens to be, you should expect and assume that multiple go governments will know about that same information. This makes it more likely there could be some sort of local enforcement action against your client when you're investigating a matter <coughs> around a potential anti-bribery, uh, anti anti-corruption claim. This is yet another instance where local counsel can be helpful as that they should be aware of the different enforcement agencies in the different countries and how those enforcement agencies have ways of doing things. For instance, in some countries such as China, they like to perform pre-dawn raids where they essentially come, get people, and they're asleep, and they're waking up, and they arrest them and seize the documents. Yet in other countries, it would be extremely, extremely unlikely to happen. So once again, your local council uh, would be able to give you an idea. Some uh, enforcement agencies uh, would like you to make an appointment and come by, but it's really uh, that local knowledge is something that you need to uh, consider. Number nine, prepare for security risks. <clears throat> this is really personal security, physical security, and health safety. Uh, you may be going into situations of countries, particularly in Africa, that are war-torn. Consider the, also the Ebola outbreak in Western Africa. If you're conducting investigation in ravaged areas, you may not want to send your employees to Liberia or Libya to interview these people. A better plan might be to re remove the people you are interviewing and bring them to you or a local hub outside the impacted area. This avoids a whole host of issues as you do not want to pay for extra security. And frankly, you don't want to be walking around with someone with a loaded machine gun next to you. And finally, number 10, protect whistleblowers. Uh, this is uh, an incredibly important uh, matter, both inside the United, United States and outside. It, and we have I've talked about this uh, really throughout this uh, podcast series. But you have to protect the whistleblower. The, uh, there's a split right now of whether people outside the United States can receive whistleblower status. But I think the, the better practice would be to protect them. And certainly the U.S. Supreme Court will be taking a look at this. Um, Certainly the SEC has announced they will pay whistleblowers outside the U.S. who come forward and meet the requirements of a Dodd-Frank bounty up to 30% of the penalty. But the practical reality is this means even if courts determine the Dodd-Frank provisions do not apply for retaliation for foreign nationals, the SEC can still honor the communication and compensate the um, whistleblower. So these best practices around uh, cross-border investigations are excellent points for you to review and consider. If you retain outside counsel uh, to lead your investigation, uh, this would be uh, a, a very good format or a series of questions for them to follow as well. 
So what are the three key takeaways from today? Well, first of all, it, it should be clear that uh, translations into native language or local language are going to be critical. This means translations in interviews. This means translations of key documents. This means if you have a consent form to consent to be uh, interviewed, uh, it needs to be in the local language. Number two, never forget to utilize your local council. Uh, this can be utilized in a wide variety and for a wide variety of reasons, certainly to help facilitate the interviews, but also to navigate the uh, often critical and uh, treacherous waters of a local anti-corruption investigation if local regulators are involved. And number three, never, 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 never retaliate. And uh, the Dodd-Frank Act, uh, SEC has made clear that they're going to pay whistleblowers uh, who are outside the United States, even if they don't receive protection. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for joining me. And I hope you'll join me tomorrow for another day of one month to better investigations and reporting. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to today's episode. If you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings, help get the word out about this only, the only one month series focusing on specific aspects of a best practice. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at tfoxlaw.com. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to today's episode, and I hope you'll join me tomorrow as I continue to explore how to improve your investigations and reporting the best practices compliance. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.